0: This morning we continue our series through the Word of God and we look at another character in this story of God's redemption. We see the life of a man by the name of Joseph. It's in Genesis chapter 37, verses 2 through 13, and continuing with 23 through 34. It's the story of Joseph being abandoned by his brothers, It's a story that I pray that at some level this morning you can relate to because it deals with what often people call the hiddenness of God. I know there's a God, but I can't see him. I know there's a God, but I can't trace him. In a nutshell, Joseph comes from the line of Jacob. Joseph's father is Jacob and if you remember Jacob, Jacob had a father by the name of Isaac and this story in a way really still continues to revolve around Jacob because Joseph is still feeling the effects of his father Jacob. If you remember Jacob being the son of Isaac, he was desperate for what? The affection of his father. We saw that a few weeks ago. We saw how Jacob used the affection of his father as his emotional center while Isaac dies. So Jacob needs to find a new emotional center and that becomes Rachel in the search for his one true love. Well, we learn about Rachel, that Rachel has two sons with Jacob, uh, has the son uh, Benjamin, and a son by the name of Joseph. Well, Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin, and so Jacob, who first had his emotional center in, in his father and then had his emotional center in his wife Rachel, needs a new emotional center, and he finds that a new emotional center in Joseph, his son. And Joseph is lavished with love by his father, Jacob, lavished with wealth and treasures. And Jacob even gets him a robe of many colors. And it's the lavishness of the father to Joseph that the brothers of Joseph absolutely cannot stand. And it poisons the entire family. Genesis chapter 37 verses 2 through 13 and then 23 through 34 these are the generations of jacob joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers he was a boy with the he was a boy with the sons of bilhah and zilpah his father's wives and joseph brought a bad report to their father now israel loved joseph more than any other son because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when it was told to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bound down to my sheaf. Joseph's really trying to win them over, huh? His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, His father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel, which by the way was the name given to Jacob, because Israel means one who wrestles with God, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him to his robe, and the robe of many colors he wore, and they took him and threw him in the pit, and the pit was empty, and the water had no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and their away way to carry it down to Egypt." Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph down to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes, returned to his brothers, and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, sla- slaughtered a goat, dipped the blood, dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors, brought it to their father, and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And when he identified it, he said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. If God is in charge, he must really be incompetent. If God is surely in charge, he must surely be incompetent. So said the many men and women down through the centuries that have always wrestled with this tension. That I know, on the one hand, that God is sovereign and completely in control, but the Bible also tells me that he's loving and caring. And so therefore, if God is loving and caring, and he's in total control of all things, he'll surely be incompetent. Because as we have seen week after week, we see the promise of God, that God has promised through Abraham to bring a messianic seed in which all the nations would be blessed. But doesn't it seem like week after week, God goes about it the wrong way? Doesn't it seem week after week that we see deception and doubt and backstabbing and arguing and warring between family and taking uh, taking multiple wives and having multiple children to find our emotional center and happiness. And every single week we come here and we read the story of Genesis and we see the drama unfold and we go, God, God, In order to accomplish your grand promise, there had to be an easier way. But you will see... As we read the story of Joseph and as we wrap up the story of Genesis in the next few weeks, you will see how the answer that has been plaguing people for years of how can God be sovereign and in control, but also be loving and caring, how that tension is solved. We will see God working even when he seems silent. Three things briefly I want to point out in the story of Joseph here that not only helps us understand this tension between a sovereign God and a loving God, but hopefully this morning, three things that will hopefully give you perspective in your life as you wrestle with this tension, even the bad things that happen to all of us. But the first thing that we need to see about Joseph's life that helps put this story and this tension of a God that is loving but also sovereign in perspective, the first thing that we need to see here in Genesis 37 are the depths of sin. The depths of sin, the hidden depths of sin in Joseph's life. What we see in Joseph's life is a man that in his arrogance and his cruelty, a man that has taken the blessing of being the favored child of his father and he's using it against his family. He's using it against his brothers. Joseph is growing up to be a man that should be grateful for his father's blessing and growing into a cruel and arrogant and mean-spirited man. What Joseph is doing here is he is taking these reports. He's taking these dreams. And it actually says in verse 2 that Joseph brought a bad report. The Hebrew translated there is a false report. So this man is not only cruel and arrogant and boasting about how he will rule over his family, but now he is becoming a liar. And he is lying to his brothers and to his father about what he sees and what he is receiving. And isn't it interesting that the sin continues from one generation to the next and we see this hidden depth of sin in Joseph's life, another generation trying to find their hope in this world, another generation like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph, the hidden depths of sin. And every time Joseph brings one of these false reports to his brothers or to his father, we see in verse 4 and 5 and 8 this growing sense of hate. And what is happening here? Like a volcano. That is getting ready to erupt. The hidden depth of sin that was in each generation is slowly starting to boil. And at the end, we see it finally the story we reread this morning finally erupt and come to the top and leave a family utterly shattered and devastated. A brother that is left for dead and eventually led into slavery. Brothers hating one another. Brothers fleeing for their lives and lying to their father and to their other brother. You see the sin that has gone unchecked from generation to generation finally festering to the point and boiling over like a volcanic eruption. And just as a side note, how often do we fall into that trap? from generation to generation fooling ourselves Right? The same things that used to bother us about our parents, left unchecked. We grow up one day, all of a sudden, and we look in the mirror and we see the, that same person. We see those same things because the reality is the answer for solving generational sin, the, the problem for solving the things is not like the story has told us. Go have more children or marry another spouse or find another job. The only source is salvation from God that can change us from generation to generation. No, the world does tell us that we are a product of our own choices, but I think we see here, story after story, that the sin of one generation to the next is passed down, and it has festered from generation to generation, and all of a sudden in Genesis 37, we see it exploding, and it leaves a family and a brother and a father absolutely devastated and we'll never understand the perspective of this story and how it relates to our life until we understand that the same hidden sin that existed in Joseph and his family is the same hidden sin that if left unchecked in our lives will eventually erupt and explode and lead to utter devastation and chaos but that's not all we see Not only do we see the hidden depths of sin in Joseph's life and in Joseph's family, but in the midst of this devastation, we actually see, believe it or not, the second thing. We see the purpose of God. Now granted, they seem like hidden purposes, but in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the devastation that wrecked Joseph and his family, we actually see, if we look closely, the hidden purposes of God. Look what happens in this story. Eventually in verses 12 and 13, we read of a Joseph that wants to go pursue his brothers. And the story tells us that his brothers had left and gone to a place called Shechem to pasture his father's flock. And Joseph pursues his brothers and he gets to Shechem, the story eventually tells us. And a man says, if you're looking for your brothers, they actually never came to Shechem, they've actually gone to a place called Dothan. And Joseph leaves Shechem and he eventually goes to Dothan. And the story tells us what, in verse 23 and 24 of the 37th chapter, that the brothers see Joseph and what do they say? Here comes the dreamer. And they plot to kill him. And what do they do? It says that they stripped him and they threw him in a pit. The word in Hebrew there for being stripped is as if they were stripping an animal, taking his fur off in the most brutal fashion. And you can picture Joseph being stripped naked and being thrown in a pit, left for dead. The word throw there, to be be thrown in the Hebrew there, Means to be left for dead, to dump a dead body in the grave, to be abandoned to death. That is the picture of Joseph. The cruel, harsh reality of sin that had been festering for years erupting, and we have utter devastation. But you know what's amazing about this passage? And I never thought about it until I studied it the last couple weeks. There is no mention of God. In Genesis 37, you'd be hard pressed to find a chapter in the Bible with no mention of God. Why point that out this morning? Because you and I can relate to being in the pit, to being in the midst of tragedy, and wondering, where is God And it could leave someone, maybe even you this morning, wondering how in the world will God ever accomplish his purposes through this story? Where is God to be found with Joseph in the pit? Well, we see later in the story that Joseph's brother rescues him from the pit and sends him off as a slave, sold into slavery, and sent off to Egypt. And it leaves us wondering, Joseph left for dead, eventually sold as a slave, you're right to ask this morning, where is God? Nowhere to be found. But that's the point. Just because God is silent or seemingly silent doesn't necessarily mean here in this story that God is not still and always at work. You say, Pastor, how do you see that? Think about it. Follow me here this morning. Joseph was suffering from the sin of self-righteousness Every time he had a dream, he would go back to his father and his brothers in self-righteousness and pride and boast about who he was in the sight of God, who he was in the eyes of his father. And so while Joseph thought he needed to be saved from the pit, what ultimately Joseph needed to be saved from was the sin of pride and self-righteousness. What did the brothers need to be saved from? These brothers more than likely would have ended up killing each other. They tried to kill their brother, and they were warring with each other later in the story in Genesis. And here's a little spoiler alert. You'll learn in the next few weeks how this story of Joseph eventually ends. Joseph is eventually rescued. Joseph is eventually free. And Joseph becomes the ruler. He becomes the great prince. And we, the story of Joseph unfolds. And his brothers are brought to his feet. And they need to eat out of the palm of his hands. And Joseph had the option later in the story of Joseph to strike his brothers dead out of vengeance. But we'll later read in the story of Joseph that he offers forgiveness and grace. And it's in that story that we see the purpose of God. Even though it is hidden, even though we cannot see the purposes of God in the midst of all this, think about it. If Joseph would have never been thrown into the pit and cast off as a slave, he would have spent the rest of his life boasting in his self-righteousness. But God used his time in the pit and God used his being sold into slavery to absolutely humble him so that he would recognize that salvation does not come from the blessing of the Father But salvation comes from God, my heavenly Father. What Joseph needed was not to be rescued from the pit. He needed to be rescued from the pride and the sin of self-righteousness. And what the brothers needed to be rescued from was not jealousy and envy, but the brothers needed to experience the grace and the mercy of God through their brother. While they deserved Joseph's wrath and justice, Joseph's brothers received his mercy and his grace you see if Joseph would have lived a life of self-righteousness if the brothers would have been struck dead by Joseph what would have happened the whole messianic line would have been destroyed. Game over. A man not rescued by his self-righteousness, brothers that were struck dead by a brother wanting to enact vengeance, the whole messianic line would have been done. The whole messianic line would have been destroyed. The people of God and the family of God would have been utterly wiped out. End of story. But it was through this tragedy of a man in a pit and brothers being forgiven, that although we cannot trace it, that although we cannot al- al- always see the hand and the plan of God, we see God working in the, midst, in the midst of tragedy and suffering and the most peculiar of circumstances. You see, ultimately the story of Joseph is this. It's the story of God throughout the rest of the scriptures that god takes what seems as a dead end and god takes apparent death and devastation and he brings about new life the story of joseph is your story if you are in christ this morning you were once dead but now you're alive that you were once in the pit But God comes down to rescue. You see, the story of Joseph is God is both sovereign and he is both loving. Even when we can't see him, even when we can't trace him. R.C. Sproul would often talk about the sovereignty of God and he would often say that there is not one molecule in this entire universe that is not under the sovereign control of Almighty God because if there is one tiny molecule that is not ruled by the sovereignty of God, that one molecule could rise up and be the very building block to thwart the plan of God. Everything, everything whether you realize it or not or whether you see it or not, God is working all things to the good. God is sovereign. Everything is under the sovereign control of God. Joseph in the pit, we see God's sovereignty. Brothers warring against each other and deceiving a father, God is still sovereign. When I walked into my daughter's room two years ago, God sovereign the only way you and I can function in this life is to embrace the sovereignty of God in all situations in all circumstances and I ask you this morning do you believe do you believe that God is still present even when he seems hidden do you believe that God is still working even when he cannot be traced. If you're having trouble believing that this morning, the last thing that you and I need, the final thing to believe this to be true is to see the patterns of God's grace in this passage. You see, Joseph's life of abandonment, Joseph's life of being rejected would actually serve as the pattern of God's redemption for the people of God all throughout redemptive history. You see, because centuries later, there would be another one that would come, and he would be, too, rejected by his brothers, and he would be rejected by the ones that would not receive him. There would be another one that would come that would be sold as a slave. There would be one that would come centuries after Joseph who was stripped naked and left for dead. But unlike Joseph who was forced into the pit of death, this one Jesus Christ voluntarily laid down his life and on the cross of Calvary, Jesus the Christ was stripped of his robe, royal robe of righteousness, so that by faith you and I can forever be clothed by that robe. You see, this pattern of God's grace in the story of Joseph is ultimately the assurance that you and I need in this life. Because when you are in the pit, you and I do not have a God that stands on the top of the mountain and says, pull yourself up and get yourself out. But you and I have a God in the person of Jesus Christ who comes down and goes into the pit. We are told that we have a great priest, a great high priest who's able to empathize with us. You see, when we are alone or we think we're alone in this life. The Christian alone is able to look to God and say, you came down into the pit with me. You experienced suffering and you experienced tragedy and you experienced abandonment on my behalf so that the Christian and the Christian alone is able to say, even in the valley of the shadow of death, who is with me? He is with me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was lost and abandoned so that you and I would never be lost again. Listen to me. It might not always seem in your life like God is working, but he is. He's just not always working in the way that you think Listen, in your life, in the midst of struggle, in the complexities of life, when life gets hard and complicated, the one and thing that you and I think we need are answers. If we only have the blueprint for how this thing will end, then my heart will be at peace. That's tarot cards. That's not Christianity. What you and I need are not answers and a blueprint for how this thing will end. What you and I need more than anything is a robe. You need a robe dipped in blood to forever serve as a reminder to you and me that you are not alone in the pit. That when you cry out, I'm alone, you are able to look at the robe dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ and say, he never will leave me nor forsake me. It's the only way that you and I will be able to console our heart is to preach to our heart every day this future hope so you are able to say with all confidence and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds will be rolled back. And the trump shall sound and the, and the Lord will be descend. And then and only then will it be well with my soul. You don't need answers. You need a robe. You don't need answers and a plan. You need the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to believe that what seems like his silence does not mean his absence. In Christ, you're never alone a single mom adopted a a little boy and because of his background and his story he could be the most pleasant young man but because of his abandonment with his previous family he would all of a sudden go into a into a rage and every time, even in public, without fail, his mom to console him and, and settle him down, the mom would have to get literally on top of the boy and hold him. And she would whisper these words in his ear I love you. I got you. You're mine. I will never leave you. Be still. Shh. Be still. There are some of you here this morning that need to be wrestled to the ground and need to be overwhelmed by a God who holds you and whispers into your ear, be still. I will never leave you. You are not alone. Jesus got the pit of death so that you could have his robe forever. And that is the only thing that you and I will ever need. And why would you want anything more?